The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, good to be uh, back with y'all this week. Uh, and we are uh, nearing the end of, of a series that we've been in for the, the better part of a year called The Story. And what we're doing in The Story is, is we're tracing kind of the entire narrative of Scripture. What happens in the Bible? What's the big story uh, in the Bible? And so we've seen creation into the fall, into Israel. And then the last few weeks we've looked at, at Jesus' work, his death, and his resurrection. And, and where we're at now is that he's ascended back to the Father and he sent his spirit into the world and, and he started his church. And this is where we're at. We're, we're in the book of Acts, and, and we see the work of the church, the early church, as it's getting up and running, and the message of Jesus is going out to the world. Uh, and what's interesting to me about this stage in the story uh, is, the, is, is the way the New Testament mirrors the Old Testament. Uh, I, I've said this before, but uh, it, it bears repeating. I stole it from someone else, uh, which is the best thing to do, uh, is uh, the, the uh, New Testament, or the Old Testament is the New Testament contained. And the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. Okay, so the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. The New Testament is the Old Testament explained. And so what we see sometimes are these these mirror images, and we have this going on right now. We're in the Old Testament. The central act of deliverance uh, happens in Exodus, and it's it's God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt, and he leads them out, and, and they become his people. That's really the key covenant moment for them is him delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And so we're at this point in the story, though, where we recognize that the the central act of delivery in the New Testament is Jesus' death and resurrection. That through that, he delivers all of humanity, you and I, from slavery to sin and to death and to the devil. And that forms a new people. A people that's not comprised of just one nation, but of nations from all over the place, of cultures from all over the place. And we call that the church. And so we're at this stage in the story where the church is starting to take off. And they begin to live into this story in a new way. But like Israel, the church finds itself in hard times. Israel found itself in hard times. The church finds itself in hard times too. And this is where we're at today. See, the the book of Acts, uh, it starts, if you know it, is is Jesus says, hey, you guys go take this message to the ends of the earth. And then he says, I promise I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he does. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the church just blows up. It just explodes. Like all these people come to know the Lord and, and, and more and more people. And it just grows specifically in the city of Jerusalem. And what happens then is folks living in Jerusalem have an issue with that. And they begin to persecute the church, uh, particularly under the leadership of a man named Saul. And so Saul's this guy, and he's, he's, he's basically he's what we'd call a religious extremist. And he's doing everything he can to find Christians to arrest them, to tear them apart from their families, to even kill some of them. That's his end goal. And his, his work's been going so well in Jerusalem that he reaches this point where he says, you know what, I'm going to go 125 miles to the north. I'm going to go to a city called Damascus, and I'm going to find the Christians up there, and I'm going to bring them down. And so that's his plan. But if you know the story, on his way up to Damascus, Saul has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And he meets Jesus, and he comes to faith, and he becomes a Christian, and he's totally converted, and there's this radical change in his life. But if you know the story, Paul becoming Christian, he's not just any Christian, right? Like, like he is the, the Christian par excellence. Like, he, he is the dude, man. He is the first and greatest missionary the church ever ha- has ever had. He's a leader in the early church. He wrote most of the New Testament. Most of what's in the second half of this book was written by him. Even people who aren't Christians would recognize Paul is one of the greatest and most influential thinkers in the history of the world. 
I mean, Paul lived a big life. He lived a meaningful life, which is kind of ironic because his name before he was converted is Saul, which means big, literally, it means grand. After he becomes a Christian, it's Paul, which literally means small. But Paul lived a big life. And by the way, I'll be using his name interchangeably. Don't be thrown by that. It's the same dude. All right? We good? Okay. So that's the plan. But Paul lived a big life. He lived a life that mattered. And don't you want that too? Right? Don't you want to live a life that matters, a life that means something, to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Like, that's what I want for me, and that's what I want for you. And so the beautiful thing in this passage is, is, is so simple. Is, is I, I've got no delusions of grandeur here. Like, I don't think any of us here is going to have the impact that, like, Paul did. It's just not going to happen, okay? Some of you are very special, but it's just not going to happen. Um, but what Paul does in this text is he lays out for us a recipe for living a meaningful life. And it's so simple. It's based on just three relationships. I'll have them up here. It's being connected to God. It's being connected with Christian friends. It's being connected with non-Christians. Connected with God, connected with Christian friends, and connected with non-Christians. You do that, I'm telling you, it's a recipe for a meaningful life. We'll see this in the story of Paul, and we'll see it's that simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And so let's get going. Look with me uh, at the first few verses in our text. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has not he come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. All right, so Paul becomes a Christian. And instead of persecuting the Christians in Damascus, he actually proclaims the Christian message. He starts preaching the word that Jesus is the Son of God. He goes in the synagogues. He says, hey, guys, Jesus, he's the promised Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's here. He's the real deal. And the folks who witnessed this, verse 21, they're totally confused, right? They're saying, isn't this the guy that was going to come here and arrest everyone, and now he's Jesus' biggest advocate? What's going on here? What's happened? And here's what's happened with Paul. Paul is in relationship with God. He knows God now in a way that he's never known him before. He knows Jesus as the Son of God. He trusts in him as his Savior. He's walking daily with the Lord. In verse 22, it says that he's increasing in strength as a result of that. And see, this is the first and most crucial piece in living a meaningful life. It's to pursue your relationship with God. That the most important piece to living a meaningful life is pursuing a relationship with God. That's number one. That's number one, pursuing a relationship with God. And I know, I know, I say that, and it's like, okay, pastor, right? Like, you're going to say that, pursue a relationship with God has got to be number one. Yes, I am. Because it's true. And it's not just true for me. It's true for all of you. See, I don't know if you caught it when we read the text earlier, when, when Pastor Barrett read it for us. Uh, but what happens is, is Paul's preaching, and the people that are at first confused by his message, they actually turn, and they're not just confused, they actually start to hate him, and they get angry, and they want to kill him. 
and he's got to be rescued. He's got to be delivered through a basket. It's wild. Anyways, and, and so, so that happens. And the reality is this, that if you're pursuing a life of meaning, if you're actually pursuing a life of meaning, doing things that matter, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face difficulty. And if your relationship with God is not number one in your life, you'll fold. You'll collapse. You just will. It just happens. He's got to be number one. Here's what I mean. Uh, so in the last month, I, uh, for whatever reason, uh, have been on the receiving end uh, of some critiques of our church uh, from people outside of our church, uh, which, let me just say this. I don't mind if people inside our church critique us because, you know, we're walking together. We're figuring it out. We're not perfect. We're just trying to, I love it. I welcome that. But folks lobbing shots from the outside, like, man, it gets me like, Come at me, bro. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, just, you know, I'm supposed to be a pastor, right? Love everybody, but come at me, bro. Like, that's, that's where I'm at. And, and so I don't know how you respond to people who insult your life's work, uh, but, but I get frustrated, you know, and I get angry. And, and if I'm quite honest, I, I get insecure, and I think, like, man, are we doing the right stuff? Is this what we should be doing? Maybe we're making mistakes. And so, so as, as these critiques have come in, I've been kind of processing this the last couple of weeks. So I'm just being honest. I've just been, like, working it through and being like, God, like, how do I respond in the midst of this? Like, I don't know what to do. And, and I was reminded of a, a conversation I had with a, a pastor uh, down in Costa Rica this past summer. Uh, I was down there uh, with uh, some folks from our church and, and met with this pastor, and he's this guy who I, I look up to, um, just incredible man of God, and, and his, his ministry, his church does, uh, I mean, they're big, but they're really effective, really effective. They have, they have homes for men in recovery and women in recovery. They have homes for folks with uh, mental disabilities. They have a school for kids in need, and they have one of the most inspiring worship experiences I've ever been to, and, and so I just wanted to learn from him, and so I sat down and I just said, hey, can you just... I, I just, I just want to learn. And, and the first question I asked him, I said, listen, you guys do all this stuff, and that's awesome. But I said, I know that's not easy. And I know you guys run into hardships. I know you run into difficulties, and you get backlash and all that. I said, what is, how do you keep your head in the midst of that? I said, how do you keep that, your head in the midst of, of when things get difficult, when you're trying to pursue what God's called you to do? And he said this. He said, Gabe, it starts with first recognizing that the grace of God comes with our calling. It starts to first recognize that the grace of God comes with our calling. And he wasn't just talking about our, me and his calling as pastors, but about our calling as Christians. So you've got to recognize you've got to live into grace first. He said you've got to live into grace first. And then I said, all right, well, what does that look like? And he said, well, you've got to stay humble. And because I'm a smart aleck, I said, what does that look like? And he said two parts. First, fear the Lord. Secondly, be conscious of yourself. Fear the Lord, be conscious of yourself. And then he said this line that I'll never forget. He said, God has done more in spite of me than through me. He said, Gabe, I always have to remind myself of that. That God has done more in spite of me than through me. Here's my point in telling you that story. You want to live a life of meaning. The primary relationship in this world for you is with your creator. It's number one. You pursue him first. You make that priority one. If you do that, see what that does is it gives you the grace. It gives you the humility. It gives you the freedom. It gives you the confidence to face whatever this world throws your way. You pursue that, number one. And what does that look like? What does a life that pursues your relationship with God, number one, look like? It's pretty simple. Prayer, that you're talking with God, you're communicating with him. That's reading his word. That in the Bible, he actually speaks to you in this and that you would actually hear from him through these words. 
And thirdly, it's being in fellowship with other Christians, being in relationship with other Christians. And see, this is, this is the second piece to, to Paul's recipe for a life of meaning, is to have Christian friends. Christian friends. Look with me at verses 26 to 27. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. All right, so, so far in the story of Saul, we've seen like he leaves his, his first team, if you will, uh, and they're not happy about it. The, the Jewish folks in Damascus try to kill him. And so he's like, all right, cool, I'm leaving. So he goes down to Jerusalem and, and joins his new team, tries to hang with his new crew, and they don't know what to do with him, right? They think, man, this guy is faking it. He's just trying to infiltrate from the inside and just destroy us from the inside. But then what happens? Verse 27. His boy Barnabas takes him, brings him before the apostles, and says, no, seriously, like this guy is legit. He's real. He's not faking it. You guys got to accept him. You got to embrace him. Barnabas paves the way for Paul. Barnabas looks out for Paul. See, Paul has got friends in the church. And here's why this matters. See, first of all, we see in this text, Paul needs friends in the church. Why? Because of the church, right? He needs friends in the church because of the church. Like, if Paul doesn't have Barnabas backing him up, the rest of the church doesn't know what to do. And the reality is, church can be like that, right? Like, the church attracts all kinds of people. And we all have one thing in common. We're all sinners. And so what that means is that even though we know we're supposed to love each other and we're supposed to care for each other, that doesn't always happen well. That doesn't always happen well. And people get hurt. And things go astray. And there's issues that come up. And that's why you need Christian friends. Christian friends. And I keep emphasizing the word friends like a weirdo because I think many of us have maybe Christian acquaintances, people that like we'd say hi to, but I don't know that many of us have Christian friends. We have Christian acquaintances, people kind of like. I'm talking friends who love the Lord, who know the Lord, and friends who also love you and know you deeply. I don't know if many of us have that. But we need it. We need people who can encourage you when you're down. People who can kick you in the pants when you need to be kicked in the pants. We need friends. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've done counseling with people. And, and I've said, and, and we're working through some hard stuff and figuring things out. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm so happy to meet with you. Be happy to meet with you again. But, but listen, do you have someone who can walk with this in you day in and day out? Do you have someone in your life who can be praying for you, who can be lifting you up, who can be asking you questions, who can be walking alongside you, a Christian friend walking alongside you in the midst of this? And I'll ask people who I'm counseling that question, and all too often, tragically, the answer is no. No, I don't have anyone like that. Friends, you need friends. You need people who trust in Jesus and care deeply for you. See, Jesus, when he was here, he said that the world would know him. They would know him when they saw our love for each other. Uh, he actually said that, and he actually meant it. He actually meant it. Which means we have to actually love each other. It's not just a value that we give lip service to. It's a practice we're called to engage in, to love each other, to be friends. And so for some of you, that's going to mean opening yourself up a little more, being vulnerable, 
choosing to do some different things with your time. For others of you, you may have a great circle of Christian friends. And what that means is you've got to look around here and say, man, who's on the outside? Who can, I, who can I bring in? Who can I bring closer? Who can I truly befriend who's a part of this community? See, if we're going to live lives of meaning, we need Christian friends. But as we see in the story of Paul, we can't just stand around hugging each other all the time. All right, we've got to go out. We've got to be in relationship with people who aren't Christians, with people who aren't like us. So look with me at verses 28 through 29 says this, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. All right, so, so Paul's embraced by the church. He's, he's strengthened in his relationship with the Lord. And so verse 28, it says he goes in and out among them. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's actually in and out among them. It's a, it's a Hebrew idiom. Uh, and, and really what it means is he went about his, his daily duties. He went about his, his daily responsibilities. And so, so he's going about his daily responsibilities, preaching in the name of the Lord. And disputing, verse 29, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now what's going on there? Uh, well, first of all, who are the Hellenists? Uh, so the Hellenists were, were folks at this time uh, who were, had a, a Jewish belief system, uh, but they adapted to Greek culture about 200 years before this time, um, the time of the text, not now, uh, 200 years before the time of the text uh, because the Seleucid Empire made them. And anyways, and so they adapted to the Greek culture, but they had a Jewish belief system. Now recognize this. These are the people that Paul's choosing to interact with. He says, there's the guys over there where their culture is Greek, their belief is Jewish. Paul says, my belief is Christian and his culture was Jewish. They're on different ends, religiously and culturally. And Paul intentionally says, no, those are the dudes I'm going to spend time with. Those are the people I'm going to go to and I'm going to spend time with. It's amazing. And it says, what does he do? He speaks and disputes with them. Now, the word for speak there is the Greek word laleo. It literally means to speak openly. And so what that means is he's speaking. He's in public with them, in conversation with them. They're talking about stuff. They're figuring things out. But then there's an edge to it, right? He spoke and disputed, which means while he's talking with folks who are not like him, who don't believe what he does, he's not just saying, hey, cool, everyone's okay, kumbaya, we're all climbing the mountain together, buddy. No, there's a point where he says, no, this isn't right. Uh, no, this is, this is what I believe, this is what's true. So, so there's an edge to it. He's speaking openly, he's in conversation, but he has conviction, right? It's both. It's conversation and convictions. And see, as Christians, we absolutely need to be in relationship with people who believe and see the world differently than we do. We need that. And we need to be in conversation with them, but we also need to have conviction. It's both. It's conversation and conviction. And see, when you're truly in a relationship with God, when that's your first priority, and when you have Christian friends around you, Those first two relationships enable you to move out into these relationships with people not like you because you have the humility and confidence that comes with those first two relationships. Does that make sense? Good? All right. So if you've been uh, coming here for a while at all, for a bit at all, you know that uh, I I play on a soccer team here in Leander. Uh, We used to be called the Leanderthals, uh, but we have since changed our name to the Crop Tops, uh, and, and yes, that name came with a uniform change as well. Um, and if you don't know what a crop top is, do not Google it, all right? It will scar you. Uh, I will just tell you after worship. It's okay. Okay? That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. 
Anyways, uh, I don't wear the crop top, but half my team does because they have like abs for days. You know, I have like the dad bod, and so just it's not good for anybody. Uh, anyway, so 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 I play on this team, and and I love it. It's like one of my it's a highlight of my week, uh, except for of course being with you. Uh, and uh, and but but I'll be honest, like I am far and away the worst player on my team. Like it, they are on a way another level. I'm just stink, right? It's, and, and so every week I play, some are worse than others for me, uh, but, but generally I put on a pretty embarrassing performance. It's just true. But as you can tell, I don't really care. I really don't. Not only because I love the game, but because it's, it's through being a part of this team for the last two years that God has had me in relationship with people that don't look at the world the way I do, with people that don't believe the same things that I believe. And so in the last two years, I've gotten to walk alongside a guy and counsel him as his, during halftime as, as his wife was leaving him. And I've gotten to have these great sort of existential debates with my, my former captain uh, over beers after our game. And I've actually gotten to see my current captain come to faith in the Lord and actually worship with our congregation. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, so, like, this is what we're made for. To know God deeply, to love each other deeply, and to be in relationship with those outside the faith intentionally. Like, this is what we're made to do. You do that relationship with God, friendship with other Christians, relationship with those outside the faith. Watch your life do some crazy, crazy things. I mean, look what happens at the end of our text, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I say, I love this. When the church lives in this rhythm, love for God, love for each other, love for others, what does that bring? You pull it back up, Caleb. What does that bring? We're built up. We walk in the fear of the Lord. We got 31 up there. That's all right. Don't worry. Don't worry. All right, so we, 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 uh, we, we walk in the fear of the Lord. We have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and we multiply. This is what happens when we live in this rhythm. It's, it's simple, right? It's simple. But once again, it's not easy, right? It's a simple recipe, but it's not easy to actually do, which is why we need to grasp why we would pursue this in the first place. Like, why bother trying to live this kind of life? Why bother engaging in those three relationships? And here's why. See, Paul's not the first guy to do this. Paul's not the first guy to, to live deeply in communion with God, to live uh, in deep fellowship with his brothers and sisters, and to be intentional with his relationship with those outside the faith. He's not the first guy to do this. No, no, no. All he's doing is copying what Jesus did. Right? You read through the Gospels. What does Jesus do? He's always taken off, and he's going into the mountains, and he's going to pray to the Lord. And he's going to commune with the Father. And he's going to get deep with his relationship with God. But then you see he comes back. And what does he do? He breaks bread with his disciples. He walks with his followers, his friends. But then he doesn't just stay and hang out with them. He's constantly going out to the broken, to the lost, to those who have turned their backs on God or those who think God has turned their back on them. That's what Jesus does. Jesus does that perfectly. He loves God. He loves God fellow believers, and he loves the outsider. It's so simple, but it wasn't easy for him, was it? Because ultimately, that pattern of life 
Let him be crucified by the powers of his day. That way of doing life led him to be killed. But the good news is that Jesus' death on the cross made that kind of life, a love of God, a love for each other, and a love for those outside, possible for you. That because of the cross, Jesus took away all your sins, forgave you, gave you his righteousness, and so you can stand before God fully loved, fully accepted, fully embraced. You can actually pursue a relationship with him. Jesus made that way possible. Now nothing stands between you and God. You can engage that relationship. And then when you get the reality of that, you see that we all stand on the same plane before the Lord. That we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And if you get that, then you realize, hey man, I can befriend people that I normally wouldn't. Because we're on the same page before the Lord. We may not have anything else in common, but we know the same Jesus. And then if you get that, you see, man, when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he died forgiving his enemies, and that was me. And when you get a taste of that kind of grace, man, you want everybody to know it, especially people who aren't like you. Do you get that? You guys see, like, you pursue this kind of life not in order to get God. You do it because you see everything that God has done to get you through Jesus Christ. When you get that, you begin to live into the sort of life that we see Paul model for us here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to love you, to put you first in our lives. Teach us to pursue you in prayer and in your word and with one another. Teach us to love one another, Lord. To just be good friends. To listen and to care for one another. And Lord, teach us to love those who uh, are, are outside the faith right now, who don't know you yet, Lord. Teach us to be uh, engaged in those relationships, to be loving and caring for, for the people that, that you bring into our life. Help us to live lives of meaning, Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus that we might do this. Pray it all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.